0: Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down to earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co host, Anya McGlynn. Hi, everybody. So before we get started today, uh, we do want to do another shout out to our listeners who are leaving reviews. This one is from Chris Alcaron, who calls it a must have for nonprofit entrepreneurs. Chris writes, I've always been aspired to help others building a nonprofit. What has held me back has been the lack of funds and knowledge. I'm pumped that I'll be able to learn new strategies to one day apply to my future organization. I highly recommend this podcast if you're looking to build a nonprofit. Chris, thank you so much for the feedback and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We really create this content for you and to uplift our sector and it means so much that you are appreciating it. So thank you and keep those reviews coming. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. So today's episode is all about staff love. We can call it hashtag staff love, if, uh, mm-hmm. if you will. And our guest, Mazarin Trias, um, kind of came up with this in a response to what is sort of the donor love movement. But I think it really stands nicely on its on its own or as a foundation or complement to that.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I think, um, you know, if, if we're talking about... Um, showing our appreciation and love and love for the donors who uh, who make our work possible, um, you know, and we're not showing love to the the staff who who also makes that work possible. Um, then there's a little bit of a, an imbalance.
0: Exactly. And there's so many, actually, there was just a, a article circulating, I think the New York times wrote something about staff pay in the nonprofit sector. And there's so much controversy over this. And to me, it, should not be controversial at all. Our yeah. staff are doing the most important work in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's
0: it. <laughs> we should be treating them really well. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and
1: especially, I mean, look, we know that, um, nobody, uh, comes to a job in the nonprofit sector because they want to be a millionaire, right? It's, it's, um, it's work that, uh, that is known for not necessarily being the best paid in the world. Um, but if you as a leader can, can um, you know, pay your staff as much as you can, but, uh, but also create the conditions where they know that they're learning every day, they know that they're appreciated every day. Um, you know, it, it, it makes it, uh, a little bit easier to deal with, um, with some of the lower, uh, pay grades that, uh, that, that we're forced to, uh, to deal with in the sector.
0: Exactly, it's definitely not all about money in this podcast, as you'll hear from Mazarine. It is so much about the environment that we create and the little things that don't cost anything but that help our staff feel empowered and uplifted and excited about coming into work every day. and you don't need a budget to do to do most of it. Uh, but I still we still advocate for for decent pay in our sector of course, yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's it's um it's key. Like Cindy, do you do you remember a time where you felt really, uh, really deeply appreciated, and it didn't have to do with a, with a you know promotion or? A- mm-hmm.
0: increase? Absolutely, for me, one of the things, and everyone has their different, I guess, languages that they prefer to be recognized in. But one of the things that I found really meaningful early on in my career was just getting um recognition for work that often is attributed to people more senior than myself mm-hmm. so you know we all know the realities of you know junior staff are shouldering a lot of the work uh, and often that recognition goes to to more senior staff but when i've sat around a board table and i've had a senior staff call me out in front of others for work that i did and was well-received by the board, that felt really good. Yeah, totally,
1: totally. Same. That's, um, that's my, uh, my most memorable experience of, of like, you know, feeling the staff love was, uh, you know, having someone, uh, acknowledge, uh, my contribution, especially when I was very junior and, uh, and just making sure that it was, it was always, um, Recognition would always happen for the whole team. And uh, and that just made, made me feel so, so appreciated, especially um, early on in my career. So I think if there's like one takeaway you can um, hold on to as a leader, it's it's to acknowledge the work of, of your uh, younger, more junior staff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's so much richness in this conversation. And there's a whole list of stuff that Mazarine talks about in terms of these simple pieces around acknowledgement and celebration mm-hmm. to much deeper understanding of workplace bullying. And she yes. talks about uh, some personas around that, as well as institutional, um, and systemic problems that we need to address. So it it really touches the spectrum, and of course, we need to take action across that spectrum.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think you you point to a really a really important issue around you know if there is issues of bullying or or harassment, and we're starting to see you know finally some reckoning with um, mm-hmm. with sexual harassment that that happens um, in our sector, especially when there's power imbalances between uh, donors and fundraisers. Um, and I think, you know, one of the key things is, is um, to not be guilty of institutional betrayal as a leader in an organization, which is to say um, to, when somebody raises an issue, whether that's bullying or harassment that, you know, you want to make sure that there are um, processes um, firmly in place um, that start at, at the board um, to ensure that that person is heard and that there are actions taken to, uh, to ensure that that, uh, um, that, uh, that condition doesn't happen again or they're not put in that situation or the, the offending party is, um, is dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so to ensure that that institutional betrayal doesn't happen, it, it really does start uh, starts with you um, and then it continues through your board um, and, and through all of your senior management yeah. to make sure that that process is, is set in stone.
0: Yeah. And we're going to have at at some point, probably in the next season, a podcast episode dedicated specifically to how you handle as an organization and uh, from a human resources perspective, how you handle those kinds of issues of harassment and um, more institutional or structured bullying. But in the meantime, this is a really great way to dip your toes in and start to look at the simple things you can do to create a staff love environment, which I know will uplift your donor experience, your client experience, and you know the, the overall impact of your organization. It really is foundational to all that you do.
1: One hundred percent. And Cindy, I just need to uh, acknowledge you as a leader of uh, our organization, The Good Good Partnership. I'm sorry I'm putting you on the spot in front of all of our uh, listeners, but I just have to say, um, uh, Cindy really um, uh, walks the walk and doesn't just talk the talk here. Uh, She she does such a great job of uh, of showing her her staff that, um, that we're appreciated. So just wanted to thank you in front of all of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> for <Finger> your red.
0: <laughs> I'm so red in the cheeks, but I really do appreciate that. I, I It's something that I've always strived for, partially uh, just through my own experiences, you know, being a staff member and knowing what that feels like, and knowing having workplaces where I felt energized to come in every day, and workplaces where I've dreaded showing yes. up in the morning. And I want to every day. I renew that commitment to be an environment where people are excited and they want to be there and they want to do good work. And I know that uh, that we can all work towards that. So. Thank you, Anya. <laughs> and, uh, and let me introduce the interview with Mazarine. Um, Mazarine's Mazarine values equity, inclusion, and justice. And she does three things predominantly with her uh, work. She works with nonprofit staff to learn how to move up in their careers. So she does a lot of coaching and training to, have, to allow people to advocate for themselves and negotiate. Uh, she helps nonprofits raise more money and save money through fundraising training and keeping good staff. And you can learn more about that work at WildWomanFundraising.com. And finally, uh, she works on income inequality through helping minority-owned, woman-owned small businesses learn how to get government contracts. It is my pleasure to introduce Mazarine and have this great conversation around staff love. Mazarin, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. Um, I've been such a fan for a long time following the work that you've been doing around um, staff and leadership and career management. And when I saw your uh, blog post on staff love, I thought it was such an important piece to add to our conversations around what our organization's are doing to ensure that we continue to thrive? Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, about your work and specifically around creating cultures and environments and organizations that uh, where we can do good uh, to do good work? Um,
2: sure. Uh, the first thing I'd like to mention is that. I love our sector and I love the people that work in it. And I love everybody who wants to make the world a better place. And that includes everybody. Um, And when I do anything or say anything critical of how we're running the sector, I do it with love Mm -hmm. because I want our sector to be better. Um, So one question I think we're not asking is if we do really care about keeping our donors why are we not looking at how we keep our staff and uh how we treat our staff if we want to keep them and that is to our detriment to not ask that question because when we are so busy focusing on everything that the donors need we are leaving people behind that then turns into the turnover that we have and in canada um, I've heard the numbers tossed around six to 12 months for a fundraiser mm-hmm. and um, as, as, a, as a typical tenure and most often six months. I,
0: I... Well, and it's so interesting because in the business world, more and more people are talking about empowering your staff to be able to do really good work so that their customers have great experiences. And I think the same can be true when we talk about giving our staff or creating a work environment for our staff to thrive does result in great donor experiences, great client experiences, uh, and our ability as a whole to do great work. But mm-hmm. uh, so I, I I think what I'm hearing you saying, it's not like one, it's not donor love versus staff love per se. I actually think they're on a continuum yes. and staff love ha- has to be foundational to be able to, have good donor love practices it's so true um yeah. you
2: you absolutely need to have I mean both but one does come before the other and I think that's mm-hmm. the thing that we're forgetting
0: yes yes uh, and you know we are oh, so overworked and underpaid in our sector and I've had these conversations with a number of people um, like marina from Canada helps or Voulet, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the cult, like the, the cultures in our workplaces and how, um, they don't always reflect our missions. And, Mm -hmm. and I do so believe, as you said, like that is foundational. It does need to come first. Mm -hmm. So start walking us through some of those things that we can do, um, on a day-to-day basis to create an environment where our staff feel loved and cared for. And like they can thrive. Sure. Um, so appreciation
2: baked into our week is the one I think is the easiest to implement. There's other that I think are less easy, but, um, mm-hmm. this one is super, super convenient for just about everyone. So mm-hmm. one thing that I think we forget is that every little win is a big win in nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So if you get like a thousand dollar grant or, you know, a new monthly donor or, uh, we serve people every week and we just need to appreciate the program staff more. Um, that's something that we could do in a staff meeting that I think most of us are forgetting. And whenever I coach people in how do you rise in their careers, um, that's something that I have them ask in the interview. How do you celebrate what's working here?
0: Mm. And if people don't have a good answer to that question, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And it is, it doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take any extra time. Give us a, a couple examples of uh easy ways. I mean, obviously just verbally acknowledging those wins is mm-hmm. probably the most straightforward. Have we seen anything creative? Oh, well. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Um when I worked at the Urban League,
2: um it's uh I had a coworker who brought box to work and then she had a she had the word "you" painted on it, and then she gave it to me, and I was like, "What's this?" And she's like, "You rock." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like,
0: "That's so cute, sunshine."
2: I love that. that. Was the same.
0: Yeah, it was really silly. <laughs> <laughs> but it silly is fun, right? Like we don't have to be so serious all the time, and and sometimes our work is so serious that we need a silly anecdote to that.
2: Yes, exactly. Right. So if you want to do silly things to thank people, I think that's wonderful. I got a card this week from a development director that I'm coaching through her first 90 days. And she it's like a, a corgi saying thank you. And it's like a little cutout card. And when I opened it, I just gasped and, and, you know, had this moment of joy. And it could be as simple as a card, but it could be yeah. as complex as, you know, writing down in our staff policy. Every single week, we're going to say something nice about each person who's at the staff meeting, or maybe it's going to take a while. Maybe it's like one person gets one compliment per meeting, you know, I don't know, (laughs) figure it out.
0: (laughs) I remember as a kid in school, we would do this exercise where everyone would have a piece of paper and you'd write your name at the top and then you'd fold it, pass it to the next person. They would write a compliment about you. hide it with gold and pass it to the next person. And it went around the circle. So by the time you got your paper back, it was full of folds and all these like hidden compliments uh, from, and they were anonymous. Everyone in the room had to write something, but it was so, um, it's just such a lovely way to get people in the habit of sharing those compliments. And it's really cool to see what people think Um, about your strengths, right? You can definitely see patterns with, with these. So that's one of my favorite ones and I've done it uh, in the workplace as well. Oh, I love that. That's a
2: really inventive idea. And again,
0: cost nothing means so much. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Um, All right. What is number two? Um, Well, it's
2: actually celebrating the small wins. Of the week, actually, I kind of said both of these, like appreciate the small, wins, small wins. It's yeah, kind of similar. Um, but I mean, aside from people's personality traits, you can just say, look, I, I love that you did this. And yeah. um, it's really going to do with volunteers as well. A lot of people don't remember or understand that, that when you show interest in a volunteer, when you appreciate them for little things that they help you do. That can really help them feel more connected to your cause and feel more like working harder for you. And compliments mm-hmm. totally are the grease that makes the world go round. us. And people don't like them. But um, it's not insincere when you say, like, I really appreciate that you got this little win. And it was
0: like, you did a wonderful job organizing that event, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like some of the things that we take for granted or that, like, I know with systems, when we, we just, with a client, <laughs> cleaned up their database and sent out... Uh, some tax receipts that have, you know, for some reason gotten missed uh, before we started working with them. And so that was a huge win. But it's something that so often doesn't get noticed or acknowledged, which is like, oh, yeah, you know, of course, we take our systems for granted. Um, But those are little things that people spend a lot of time figuring out. Uh, And it's not then necessarily those big checks that we're used to celebrating.
2: Right. And even if we do have a big check, what do we do? Just go, yay, high five, and then go back to work. It's like, we need to like have more culture of celebration. There's a book by Barbara Ehrenreich called Dancing in the Streets, which talks about how we have let our culture of celebration really die
0: down in the last couple hundred years. I know organizations that keep um, champagne in the fridge for celebrating things, but mm-hmm. it can also be simple like potlucks are my favorite because I love food. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's just, there, yeah, it's so easy to forget, but I love the idea of just um, acknowledging and celebrating those small wins. It's mm-hmm. um, something that, helps us feel more energized too so that's so great the policies around time off generally uh, can be a little bit ridiculous not just in our sector but everywhere right where you know people feel like they have to be at their desks whether or not they're being productive or that if you need a mental health day um, that's scrutinized in a way that um doesn't create an environment where people feel trusted to do the work that they're supposed to do. And it's certainly not motivating. Um, Mm. So whether it's, you know, maternity and paternity leave, or, you know, our company has flex hours, there's so many ways um, to create an environment where people feel trusted to do the work that they're doing. Mm. Uh, And to me, that that creates uh, an environment where people actually want to do the work. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Excellent. Um, tell us, uh, let's go on to the next one. Sure. Well, I mentioned it before briefly, but,
2: you know, um, having a staff meeting, start understanding workplace bullying. Mm. So, um, I have a whole post on recognizing workplace bullying types. There's a, in the, if you want to get the book, it's called the battle between somebodies and nobodies, which is really excellent. And so there's 10 kind of somebodies and 10 kind of nobodies that you can uh, play out at work. Mm -hmm. uh, It includes the gangster, as I mentioned, but there's also the seething giant, the tyrant, the snubber, um, the, uh, let's see, the dog kicker is a nobody rank you can pull, um, as well as the onlooker, someone who just watches what happens but doesn't interfere. Um, There's uh, the two ranks that it's okay to pull, the nobody ranks are the persuader and the activist. Mm. And those are just helping people name and claim what's going on. And then hopefully working to put policies in place that allow us to have dignity at work. And so there's 18 ways to Demand Dignity at Work from Robert Fuller. Um, but the book, The Battle Between Somebody's and Nobody's, is um, written by Judith and Wambach. Um, Wambach is spelled W-A-M-B-A-C-H. And when I found this book in the library in 2010, I just, my head just exploded. Like I was like, yeah. oh my gosh. Like now I have words for what happened. And now I can, you know, really help other people not go through the pain that I went through. And that, it was oh, just
0: wonderful. That yeah. is so Amazing. I can't wait to read that because we definitely see it all the time in our sector and, um, you know, especially in social justice organizations, I mean, everywhere, but it's, I guess, still surprising to me that it happens so prevalently in social justice organizations. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love that there's different types of those personas um, Mm -hmm. because it's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah,
2: it is. There's just like, once you see it, like you start to see the struct, like not the structures, like the code, you know, you just start to see like what's underneath your interactions with people.
1: Mm. And then
2: you can start to shift it like, oh, they're at playing this out, they're playing that out. And we're just bringing all our family stuff to work. And they probably didn't even realize they were doing it, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. That is very powerful. I definitely am going to pick that book up.
2: <laughs> I've got uh, some p- posts we can link at the end of this um, yes. show notes as well, too. So people don't have to do that. Yeah, but that's Definitely. awesome. Yes, yeah. so
0: we'll, we'll link the post, but also the book in case you want to deep dive, because I have seen this a lot in organizations, sadly. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, they say, ugh, I can't I can't remember the statistic, but most people quit their bosses mm-hmm. on their workplaces. Yes. Um, And working with people who um, are either one of those like personas or bullies, um, or any other kind of, you know, boss who you don't connect well with, um, or who doesn't provide that environment for you. Like that's why our staff are leaving. Um, and it's a very hard, it's a very hard thing to acknowledge and accept about ourselves as leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really important to figure out. Uh, You mentioned actually the cost of people Mm. in the organization. Can you talk about that? Sure. So um, now this is from Penelope Burke's 30 years of research um,
2: in Signet Research Group's donor-centered leadership, Mm -hmm. but she is doing work um, to do these numbers for Canada as well. I want to mention she may have already completed this work, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, it costs over $55,000 to lose One person you're paying $50,000 U.S. to. Um, And she has researched all the different little costs that are associated with that. So it's over 110% of what you're actually paying them. Mm. Um, And then if you ratchet that up over the period of years, if you have turnover every single year, which we know is extremely common in Canada, Mm -hmm. every six months um, is is a figure I've heard tossed around a lot um that means that you're losing um over $190,000 uh over the course of 3 years and then over 4 years it's it ratchets up to over $400,000 and so if your nonprofit has had uh, turnover even in the ma- like on major gifts roll for the last 4 years running you are this is not even counting lost donor relationships like this is not even counting <clears throat> potential money this person could have raised this is just little things like hiring someone new paying a recruitment firm Um, getting the person up to speed, slowing down the other person, paying their vacation. um, It really adds up. And when I think of our sector, and I love our sector, by the way, and I love the people that work in it, um, I really do. We don't always look at the cost of things. We're looking at how to get more money in so it makes us more reactive instead of responsive. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's something that we could do better as a sector is be less reactive and look at the ways we could save money in a systematic way Um, And that is, um, I also have a blog post that lists those numbers in detail. So Mm -hmm. if your boss wants a reason why we should start changing policies and make more of a donor love environment, sorry, excuse me, staff love environment, um, you can show him these numbers and say, this is why. I'm not trying to threaten to leave. I'm simply saying, you have a choice here to change um, the, the... the way that we are running through this world. And um, if we say we want to make a better world, we really have to start inside our organizations. And as you said, Cindy, and you're absolutely right, um, social justice organizations, domestic violence organizations, which I've worked at both of those, can be the most violent inside. And that's what my friend, Sarai Johnson, calls mission mirroring, where Mm. we recreate the dynamics we're trying to um, stop inside our organizations. And it's very common, Um, It's really not a surprise if your organization is doing it, but it's something to consider. How can we um,
0: stop this trend? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so, so important And, and the cost of it. I mean, we work with organizations who they'll go through like one fundraising staff person for six months and the, the, and then that person will leave Mm -hmm. And then they'll wait another six months before hiring again. Yes. And there's like the lost opportunity costs, right? Which are huge. I mean, if you have inconsistency in those positions, uh, but any position, right? Like you're, you're losing the consistency of being able to do work on a regular basis. And most of the time, success, fr- I, in my experience, comes from consistency. Yes. And if you can't hold on to your team and your uh, team members and create the environment where they're going to want to be, um, I mean, it's not just, as you said, it's not even the lost revenue. It is the hard costs and the opportunity costs associated with you know that turnover. Mm-hmm. Um And, and it affects staff morale too, right? Like when you see your peers leaving on a regular basis, that certainly doesn't inspire longevity with your existing staff. So Mm, no, it doesn't. And that really did
2: um, make us feel devalued in the organization where we were losing all those people. Um, And just when someone just disappears overnight, you kind of like look around and think what happened.
0: Yeah.
1: Stop the podcast. Just for a second, I just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners uh, who may not know that this uh, podcast is brought to you by The Good Partnership and Charity Village.
0: So a lot of people don't know that both of our organizations are deeply committed to making sure that there are tons of great resources available to small nonprofits in our sector. And so I want you to take a minute to go and access some of those great free resources for the good partnership. You can visit the good and specifically on our homepage or visit the good slash guide. You can download a free resource that outlines all different kinds of fundraising strategies you might want to consider for your organization. And for charityvillage.com, there's so many webinars and of course the podcast um, articles, articles, the list is endless. And of course you can post jobs there, volunteer positions, uh, posting is free. So make sure that you are checking out both websites to deepen your learning and continue to access great free stuff. Great tips, Sydney. Now on the podcast. So let's talk about pay. Yes. Which is a really difficult conversation for small organizations because we're cash strapped, right? Like that is really difficult, mm-hmm. um, to figure out because some there's just, it feels like there's no money period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do we pay staff, um, reasonably? Yes.
2: So, um, I'm going to speak just from a merit-centric perspective, mm-hmm. just for a minute here, um, in the National Low Income Housing Coalition, um, if you look up the high cost of housing graph in Google, you'll see that um, and this is just from 2017, it costs in my state twenty dollars an hour to have to rent a place. Mm. in California, it costs 30. Um, in Puerto Rico, it costs nine, (laughs) but generally most nonprofit staff that are line staff that I've seen are getting paid 10 to $15 an hour, including social workers. And so I asked myself, I scratched my head and I thought, do we need a union? Is that what we need? A union to fight for us to have higher wages. Um, and I, and I actually talked to some people who were working in unions and um, or had worked in unions and asked them, did the union help protect you Mm -hmm. from, you know, um, not getting paid well enough or harassment? And the answer for a couple of people was no, but again, that's really not a large sample size. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to like look into that because I have seen other nonprofits, even small ones that did have unions that Mm -hmm. were, um, you know, for example, a legal aid nonprofit that had a legal union. Um, So that, would help you get higher wages every year to keep up pace with the cost of living. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I talked with a guy who worked at this uh, economic development agency here in Portland, Oregon, I asked him, why don't you focus more on nonprofits? And he said, and I quote, because they bring the median income of the region down. Mm -hmm. And it is accurate but that's messed up. You know, we have to change the narrative. It's not about how much we're paying people. It's also about what we're doing in the community. Number one, but number two, okay, that's a wake up call. You know, how can we make sure that at bare minimum people are getting paid 20, $25 an hour at the very least, if that's what it costs to live in our province Mm -hmm. or our state. Yeah. So um, that's something I feel like people are not paying enough attention to at the policy level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, that's a bare minimum, but on top of that, you know, we want to make sure people stay, and this is another, as we now know, it's extremely expensive to have them leave. Mm-hmm. It can cost you $190,000 to have turnover for three years running, and that's just in the U.S. dollar, right? So, Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, then you know, you're know you going to save so much money if you actually pay people <laughs> a living wage. So um, you're saving so much money by just being a decent human being. Um, <laughs> and so and then people are like, no, Mazarin, it's not about that. And I'm sorry I said it that way. Of course, you don't have a lot of money. Of course, it's very difficult. You're stretching to make ends meet for a lot of us, a lot of small nonprofits. And to that, I say, pay people more per hour and have them work fewer hours because yeah. They'll be more productive, right? Twenty dollars, yeah. you know, twenty hours a week instead of forty, you're gonna find such a difference in their, um, like attitude and motivation, and uh, they'll have more time for their family or the other things that they like to do, their hobbies, their art, whatever it is, you yeah. know. Um, and that will, you'll you'll find that that will be a wonderful thing for your organization. Um, and that will also help you eventually get to hire more people, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no. I think it's. I mean, it is the right thing to do, right? We can't. Um, this is arguably the most important work happening in our society, right? The work that or that nonprofits and charities are doing mm. is world changing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: beyond any other kind of kind of work and organization in terms of you know doing good for our society how can we undervalue that how can we not uh pay people uh something that is at least livable and i think and i know in canada right now um the like it's a employee um environment in the sense that uh there are a lot of jobs and not a lot of people to fill them mm-hmm. and so more and more um organizations we're going to have a, an episode on the podcast about this but like more and more people have the opportunities to leave for a higher paying job or you know go to something that's that is going to do uh to give them that pay or the flexibility or the vacation and so how do we create environments where we can Pull on different levers, like pay, uh, mm-hmm. or as you said, work hours, um, and give people a reasonable, you know, salary, um, and perhaps even some other things that they want and that they value. Right? It's all. It's the money is important because we need that to live. Mm-hmm. It's foundational. But once you have that, there's lots of other things we can do to create work environments where. Uh, people are compensated in different ways um, that are more valuable sometimes or equally valuable as money once that cost of living is covered. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that we just cover the cost of living, Mm -hmm. but I think we need to look at, you know, if we want talent, what does that talent cost? Uh, Especially if we want to keep that talent. And so it's not just like the absolute minimum, Mm -hmm. but we have to have a baseline too, that is, you know, unethical to go, to, to go below.
2: Yes, yeah, I agree. And I mean, that ethics point, I would like to emphasize to anyone listening. Um, it's so important to think about if we are trying to hold ourselves up as examples of what the corporate and government world should be doing
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, when we don't pay attention to how much people in our organization are getting paid, that kind of makes us hypocrites. Um, if they can't afford to save, if they can't afford to live, if they um, have precarious work, and uh, an organization that's doing wonderful work around decent work for women specifically and decent work in general for nonprofit workers is the Ontario nonprofit network Yes, and their um, reports are simply fabulous and they are advocating for you. They're trying to get pensions for nonprofit workers. If you don't yet know about their work, um, Cindy, I would have them on your podcast. We um, did
0: actually do a session. Well, we, right. we need to do another, but we've done one on their pension Good. fund, which is, uh, great and readily available for people who want to know more about that. But yes, they're doing a lot of fantastic, fantastic work for our sector. Yeah.
2: I wish we had someone like them here. I tell you, and we mm. do not. And that is just a shame.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, uh, what other things can we do to create a, a staff love environment? <laughs>
2: well, you know, one of the things that I feel like we don't acknowledge enough is that, uh, North America completely is built on the three pillars of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that probably most people are like, what's that? <laughs> and I will tell you, <laughs> um, so three, th- this is kind of why we have these problems because, um, The uh, three pillars of white supremacy are slavery-slash-capitalism, two, genocide and colonialism, and three, Orientalism and war. So um, when we have those three things, um, it means that we are not able to necessarily uh, promote people the way they should be promoted. Um, it, It can make us pay people too little, it can make us undervalue people that are paid little, it can make us see um, people of color as people that are not leadership material, which is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it can be also, of course, um, reproducing these structures inside and as as part of our work. And so we have to kind of escape the prisons of our minds in order for us to um, escape these realities. And uh, so. Um, that means we recreate racist, sexist, and classist concepts. Um, and so that's why I started my podcast called Name It, <laughs> which talks about, with Helen Choi, um, about how we can uh, start to look at what is really going on. And then positive steps each time for us to uh, to sort of like look at just little pieces of what I just mentioned to see, mm-hmm. okay, how can we start to mitigate these inside of organizations? And again, if we hold ourselves up as ethical, if we hold ourselves up as a standard that other, you know, moral standard that other uh, sectors should be following,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, then it only makes sense that we would want to do this.
0: Absolutely. You know? And we have a great podcast, a couple great podcasts on anti-oppression in the workplace mm. and some really specific tools that help people, you um, self-reflect and take action. So uh, we'll link to those in the show notes as well, because I think that that is such an important part of um, creating those safe and great work environments is, is being able to identify when, you know, when we're bringing in all these, you know, learned often um, both biases and behaviors and how we start to unlearn them. Yes. Very important. Absolutely. Um, Now, one that I imagine was controversial when you uh, shared this is um, you wrote absolutely no mandatory staff giving. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: (laughs) Well, there was a kerfuffle about that um, with different people having different perspectives on that Mm -hmm. Um, in um, kind of going back and forth across Canada and the U.S. a couple of months ago. And, um, the, uh, basic issue that people were having was that, you know, uh, we already exploit our staff enough. Why would we want to make them give to our nonprofit as well? Mm. Um, and I completely agree with that. We are exploiting our staff and we do need to do better. And mandatory staff giving does not create an atmosphere of trust or, um, you know, if we live in a perfect world sure. Like, Hey, if everybody is getting paid $60,000 us or above, sure. Mandatory staff giving. But <laughs> the fact is that most people who work at nonprofits can barely scrape together the money to pay for groceries. And usually they have to use a credit card. Um, you know, it's, I've lived that life. It is not a fun life. And people are still trying to get away with paying that amount where I live right now. Um, mm-hmm. so we haven't learned our lesson. And so for me, um, Mandatory staff giving is just a a blind, mm, top-down, you know, white supremacy element that doesn't really help us um, create an atmosphere of trust and engagement inside organizations.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I could, I know when I started fundraising, especially, I'm not going to name the organizations uh, here, but they created this big, these big funders and they created these um, requirements as part of your funding that staff give. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not just to your organization, but to, to theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it really became part of that culture that like your organization was evaluated based on your staff and board giving rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I agree with you. Like I would love to, to, I would love staff to be so passionate about the work that they want to give, uh, and that they're paid well enough that they can afford to give. Although I think that, um, you know, people can have, af- who decides what people can afford to do really should be up to the people who are giving away their things. But, you know, that we're creating environments where it is easier for staff to give Mm -hmm. um, and that they are inspired and excited about doing so. But that mandatory piece um, is, it's not giving. It's screwed up. up. Yeah, Yeah. it's
2: not giving. It isn't. Mandatory board giving Sure. If they're on your board, probably they have enough money to give a nominal amount, right? Um, and that's something you can use in your salary negotiation piece as well. Yeah. But, you know, um, we what we do so often, and that's sort of the thing we've been trying to counteract in this last, you know, few minutes here, is just mm-hmm. like, look at how wonderful your staff are. Look at everything they do for you. Look at how they come to work and they just keep coming and they do this work that, you know, we think is so necessary in this world. Um, why don't you give them a free ticket to your event? Let them have food. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you, uh, pamper them and treat them well? You know, like these people are, they are your mission. They're mm-hmm. a machine made of people that is fulfilling your mission. If you hold your mission in highest regard, um, why not? do good things for the people that are part of that machine, oil it, you know, give it a little tweak, you know, here and there, Mm -hmm. take your car in for a checkup. What if you had, you know, private conversations with people and said, Hey, you know, how could this organization be better for you? Like even just that. And if they say, Hey, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rock the boat, but this is a thing that's been bothering me. You'll know that there's ways that you can be better. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. I feel like that's such a, a poignant place to to wrap up our conversation which is you know like a machine um we have to take care of our parts and the, our organizations are only as strong as the pieces within it mm-hmm. and um it, as we said right at the beginning it's foundational to be able to do all the other things that we want to do whether it's changing the world fundraising, you know, making a difference in our communities, we cannot do that if the machine is broken. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Mazarine. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, I have a book called Get the Job, Your Fundraising Career Empowerment Guide, which
2: people can totally... Buy on Amazon and um, they can also go to my website wildwomanfundraising.com. It's woman singular not plural um, and if you want to um, book a call with me and talk about your experience I'd love to hear it and um, you know I love working with people in their careers or working with leaders and helping them create more positive workplaces. So whoever you are, let's
0: let's connect. Excellent. Thank you again and thanks everyone for tuning in. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.